My name is Roma Chilengi. I'm giving a talk on introduction to research ethics. I am based in the University of Oxford and at Kemri Wellcome Trust Research Program in Kilifi, Kenya. I have been involved with uh, research ethics for several years and I'm responsible for interacting with ethics committees and I have sat on an ethics committee for a couple of years myself. I have therefore put this lecture together to introduce the concept of research ethics and this course will be good for anybody keen in ethics but it is important for students of clinical research members and potential members of ethics committees and other keen followers of ethics in general. The learning objectives therefore of this talk will include to learn what research ethics imply, to understand some historical origins of ethics, to learn and review some of the landmark events that have influenced the current understanding of ethics, to identify some major ethical codes, to learn the fundamental ethical principles and their applications, and to touch on the role of ethics committees in implementation of research. By definition, the word ethics refers to a set of moral principles or a system of moral principles or indeed rules of behavior. Ethics is a branch of philosophy that deals with moral principles. Research ethics, on the other hand, is the application of the set of moral principles or the system of moral principles or indeed the rules of behavior that is acceptable to research. Note that the complexity of the definition actually reflects the difficulty in understanding and applying the concept of research ethics. Morality or values can be interpreted differently depending on place, culture, and experiences of the individuals or communities. Therefore, our understanding and interpretation of ethics must be culturally and contextually put in consideration before we make any interpretation. Let's look a little bit about the origins of ethics. Broadly, the mention of ethics goes back to many years back, as far back as 400 BC in the times of the famous Hippocrates, and there is probably the earliest documented note on medical practice and ethics in which Hippocrates coined the famous statement that physicians should abstain from whatever is deleterious and mischievous. Many centuries later, but as far back as 1803, there is a famous document written by Thomas Percival in which he challenges colleagues and physicians by stating that 
before proceeding with therapeutic innovation, a physician ought to consult with peers. For the poor, who being the most numerous class of society, are the greatest beneficiaries of the healing art. But in the accomplishment of the salutary purpose, the gentlemen of the faculty should be scrupulously and conscientiously governed by sound reason, just analogy, or well-authenticated facts. And no such trials should be instituted without previous consultation of the physicians or surgeons according to the nature of the case. Between the time of Hippocrates and Percival, a lot of uncontrolled scientific experimentations went on, which were purely empirical. Much vivisection was done. Experiments on condemned criminals was done. Prisoners were offered pardons on participating in inoculations of otherwise dangerous experiments. The father of vaccinology, Jenner himself, in 1776, is documented as having inoculated an eight-year-old child with cowpox material, and the child went on to contract the disease. Much later on, another famous uh, writer was William Beaumont, who has written the oldest American document dealing with research ethics. And in this document, William Beaumont categorically stated that experimentation is needed. However, the investigators must be conscientious and responsible. Methodological approach must be implemented and no random studies should be allowed. Voluntary consent is necessary and discontinuation of the, experiment, of the experiment must be done when it causes distress to the subject or the subject objects, to, objects or becomes dissatisfied. Following these tragic events, Early codes on ethics have always responded to tragedies and these have been triggered mainly by documented tragic events and we look at a few examples beginning with the case of Nessa. Dr. Nessa studied immunization of healthy persons against syphilis by inoculating them with serum from syphilitic patients. Three prostitutes inoculated, all of them contracted syphilis and no consent was obtained in the process. The Rage Health Council also conducted experimentation in which 75 children died in experiments with tuberculosis vaccinations. As I indicated earlier, Directives and codes followed these tragedies, and one that stands out in history is the Prussian Directive. And the Prussian Directive was articulated in response to public debate on human subject experimentation. 
prohibited experiments in minors and those that, that are not fully competent to give consent. An equivocal consent is required after explanation of the experiment and possible adverse consequences. Only certain people were allowed to do the research and must keep written records of the research. It did, did not apply to medical treatment for diagnosis, therapy, or immunizations. During the Nazi Germany times, Dr. Mengele's experiments are also standing out as important landmarks. Dr. Mengele's infected one twin with a gem. When she died, the other twin was killed and their organs compared at autopsy. Uh, other experiments involved sewing twins together to create Siamese twin. He studied subjects with genetic traits so as to better purify the Aryan race, and this was the basis of the genetic hygiene theory. He performed cross transfusions to make boys into girls and girls into boys, and other experiments with military relevance included the high altitude simulation, malaria pathogenesis and treatment, bone, muscle, nerve regeneration and bone transplantation, chemical sterilization, etc. Following the Nazi experiments, the famous code called Nuremberg Code was declared. And before the Nuremberg Code was accepted, the perpetrators of the experiments were brought to trial and the famous Nuremberg Doctors trial took place in 1946 and 47 in which 23 defendants were, were put to trial, of whom three were non-physicians. 15 of them were found guilty, seven were hanged, among them four physicians, five were sentenced to life in prison, four sentenced to 10 to 20 years prison terms, and seven were acquitted and freed. In separate trials of individuals who were called underlings, 31 of them were also found guilty and 22 of them were hanged. The Nuremberg Code was then released following these trials and this is said to be the first authoritative and most stringent pronouncement on rights of research subjects. The Nuremberg Code was adopted by the World Medical Association in 1948. And in this code, true informed consent must be freely given prior to any experimental procedures. And only truly necessary, well thought out experiments which, in which the expected benefits justifies the risks and there is no unnecessary physical or mental suffering or injury should be allowed. 
The Nuremberg Code of Medical Ethics further articulates that the person performing the task should be qualified. No experiment should be undertaken where death or disabling injury will likely occur. Proper preparation and adequate facilities to protect subjects must be presented to prevent future injuries. Subjects should be allowed to discontinue participation at any time. Upon observing likely risk or injury, disability or death, the researcher should terminate the experiment. Following the Nuremberg Code, we also had the Universal Declaration of Human Rights in 1948. And in this declaration, the General Assembly of the United Nations adopted and proclaimed the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Of the 30 articles universally adopted, includes three that are relevant to medical research. And these are the universal and effective recognition and observance all human beings are born free and equal in dignity and rights. No one shall be subjected to torture or cruel, inhuman or degrading treatment or punishment. And these are internationally acknowledged. The Helsinki Declaration was adopted following the World Medical Assembly in 1964 and has been further modified biannually to the current 2008 edition of it. In the Helsinki Declaration are many pronounce pronouncements that guide the conduct of research. The health of my patient will be my first consideration. Physicians are encouraged to conform to acceptable scientific standards. Qualified personnel should be included to undertake research. Careful assessment of risks and benefits should be put in place for any research study. Adequate information should be given to participants. There has to be legal competence in place for undertaking research. Ethical considerations must be described in every research protocol. Despite these important ethical codes, persisting practices have continued to, to cause human suffering and human tragedies in research. Although we saw as early as 1803, Thomas Percival referring to review of any innovation before implementation, uh, formal requirements were not set until very late. It's only as late as 1957 that the US FDA Code of Federal Regulations refer to group consideration of research, and it is only in 1974 that the Public Health Service policy was modified uh, for the National Research Act demanding institutional review board uh, review and approval of all research involving human subjects. So despite the availability of the major accepted codes of ethics and 
violations, tragic experiments still continue to occur. These are not restricted to the obvious war crime times. Tragedies have been recorded as having occurred in many other places. There are, in fact, many recent examples. A few of the landmark ones are described in the next slides. In 1963, in the Jewish Chronic Disease Hospital, we have records of studies that were done on rejection of cancer cells. In these studies, chronically ill patients were injected with live cancer cells. In the oral informed consent, there was no mention of cancer cells and doc no documentation. Researchers thought it unnecessary to frighten the patients. Later, it was found that the research was not approved by the hospital research board and physicians attending to the patients were not informed. The Willowbrook study in 1963 to 66 is another landmark event and in these studies research was done at a state school of mentally handicapped children in the United States. Deliberate infection with live hepatitis virus was done in this study. The institution could only take in those accepting to participate in the study. And the poor who had no other institutional choice had nowhere else to take their mentally handicapped children. And parents were not completely told what the study involved. The Tuskegee study in 1932 to 1972 is another famous study. And this was a public health service study of effects of untreated syphilis on black men in Alabama in the United States. And in this study, 399 men were already in late stage of syphilis were enrolled in this study with 201 negative controls. At this time, treatment for syphilis was available publicly, but it was not given to these volunteers. No formal protocol was located, and procedures involved without any treatment in the study, and the study followed effects of spontaneous evolution of syphilis on black males. It was, the study went on for nearly 30 years and it was only in 1972 that the study was formally discontinued and President Bill Clinton offered a public apology only in the 1990s. A more recent example is one that happened in the African continent and it's referred to as the Trovan Controversy in 1996. This was a study done in Kano, Nigeria following an epidemic of meningococcal meningitis. Trovan, a trademark product Travofloxacin by Pfizer was in late stage development and had been tested in over 5,000 patients, and Pfizer's doctors had scientific evidence that 
it would be beneficial in meningitis emergency situations. The Nigerian panel reviewing the case, however, found fault with Pfizer and they claimed that Pfizer never obtained authorization from the Nigerian government to give the unproven drug to nearly 100 children and infants. The company, however, claims that 94% survival rate on Trovan was slightly better than the approved drug. And discussions and legal cases are still ongoing on this controversy. So in learning from experiences of research tragedies, the history of research ethics has shown that the codes of conduct followed tragic research events. Currently, it is internationally accepted that all research should be reviewed by an appropriate ethics review board. International guidelines based on the major codes have been developed to help guide the process and have been standardized to a great extent based on fundamental ethical principles. These fundamental ethical principles have been well articulated in the Belmont report and are discussed in the next slide. The fundamental ethical principles are broadly four of them and they are called fundamental because they transcend geographical locations, they transcend time and race and all other contexts. So these fundamental principles are applicable in whatever context and they form the basis of uh, research ethics. The first one is the principle of autonomy. And this principle states that all humans are born with a free will and have the right to self-determination. And therefore the principle demands that persons must be respected and in doing so, they must be asked for voluntary informed consent for them to participate in research. It's important to emphasize that informed consent must be truly informed, and therefore there must be comprehension of the information given, understanding, and decision-making. Secondly, non-maleficence requires that research should not inflict harm. Efforts should be demonstrated on how risks are to be minimized for potential participants to volunteer in research. The third principle is beneficence. And in beneficence, it demands that the risk-benefit analysis should tilt in favor of benefit for participation in any ethical research. Lastly is the principle of justice, and justice requires that the burdens and the benefits of research must be equitably shared. There should be fair subject selection as well as fair distribution of the rewards from medical research. The role of ethics committees in 
enforcing fundamental ethical principles is now clearly accepted internationally. Ethical research is now undertaken with permission issued after a comprehensive review and approval of proposed research by ethics committees. Ethics committees are charged with the responsibility of safeguarding the rights, safety, and well-being of research participants. Ethics committees are recommended to be multidisciplinary, involve, involving representatives of both scientific and non-scientific members to ensure that the interests of science do not override those of participants. Ethics committees also ensure continued oversight on approved protocols.